Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is one of my favorite exercises to do with the K-Poly, and that is the pull-through. Guys, once you've figured out about how far you need to walk out with the K-Poly, grab whatever attachment you're using for the pulley, walk yourself out there, and really push your hips back at the K-Poly. From there, when you hit that stretch, really punch your hips forward, keep your chest up, and try to extend your knees and your hips all the way through. And this is where one of the major benefits of using a flywheel kicks in, as it pulls you into a deeper stretch as you push your hips back in, into your hamstrings and your hip extensors, so that you really open it up and stretch everything out in the back. This is an exercise that I'm sure your athletes are going to love to hate, but reap awesome rewards from. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cbasps to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Super fired up. Always, always, always awesome when you can get this guy to sit down and share some time with you. Zach, what's good, homie? Not much. How you doing? Doing all right, man. You guys in yeah. full summer down there yet? At 100 degrees in there or, or what? Man, last week it, it felt like it was. It was uh, up to 93, I think. Yeah, got, got my garden planted and everything. And then it dried right out because it's 100 degrees out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's been raining a lot lately, so um, feels like spring again. Yeah. Well, it's, spring is a good thing. I just need this. We're supposed to get rain today, man. Like, you know, the worst part about everything going on right now is, like, the initial symptoms are, like, bad allergies. Yeah. That, I know. I've been terrified. Dude, everybody that relocates to Virginia, you get the worst allergies ever. So I mean, I'm walking yeah. my dog, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, I know. please every, don't look at me. Every Chase, day I wake man, up, I'm like, oh, God, I've time. got coronavirus, yeah. Yeah, everybody, you know, and there's like three senior homes, like, right around my, my complex. Sure. So I'm like, I put a hood up, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't want these poor people to see me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm walking to the other side of the street, I'm like, yeah. oh, no, don't mind me. I'm just the guy <laughs> with a little dog walking around here. How you let doing, me, uh, Otherwise, let me see if I can pull this up on my uh, iPad real quick. Um, everything else is going good. Honestly, this is what's crazy, and I, I have to tell you, you know it's it's terrible to say it like this, but um, this is the first time in what 16, 16, 17 years that I've had a day off in the spring. So, it, you know how it's happening it's terrible and and that sucks you know we're missing out on baseball season and whatnot but i've never had 
a Saturday or a Sunday off in the spring to actually do housework to, you know, actually get a day to work in the garden and things like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of, of the time off because it's never happened and it'll probably never happen again. Dude, well, first of all, Chase, no, I, you should have seen it. It was getting, well, you did see it. It was getting awful. I had to cut it. This is the only choice I had. Graybeard will be back for sure. Um, but no, dude, you know, I think it's funny too, that there's like kind of been a rebuttal to a lot of these talks by people on different platforms. They're like, do coaches even know how to turn it off? And it's like, well, most of us right now are still in that like shock, like the final force this weekend, like should yeah. be this coming weekend. Like there's a lot of us, I think that are still just trying to figure out what do I do? You know, cause this has been so much of what we do. Right. And it's been a problem for so long because people argue about everything that we do training wise, but now we have people talking and sharing and it's like, but now you don't want us to talk and share because we're trying to figure out what to do with all this free time that we've never had. <laughs> right. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, for my athletes, we don't play, we won't play a game for another 10 months to be honest. So, um, uh, you know, I'm telling my athletes, move around, stay in shape, just just be fit, you know, keep yourself moving and and, and active. But, um, you know, we're not getting crazy with uh, with programming and things like that. Um, I, honestly, I've told them, you'll never have this time again in your life during your college career. Some of my pro guys, they never have this time. So enjoy your family right now. You know, just be active. Enjoy your family. Yeah. Like we put some stuff out for the guys and we're going to have to obviously build up something different for the six weeks before assuming we come back this summer, because this will be the longest they haven't been on a basketball court in forever. So, you know, it's now it's, we're talking about looking at 10 ish weeks off court. Like we got to start looking at tissue tolerance and things that we can build up so that yeah. we can get them ready to practice it. Like what we used to do before the NCAA let these guys play on here. Like we actually right. program almost a, a rebuild, reprep period. Yeah, I mean for for the sports that are coming, like football and fall sports, basketball, you know, that's going to pop up in the middle of fall. I feel I feel bad, legitimately bad for you guys because you know the ramp up period is going to be it's going to be crazy, mm-hmm. and and that's going to be something that coaches are going to have to manage meticulously, or it's going to be, you know, we're going to see just just huge amounts of injuries. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we had our coaches meeting today with the uh, baseball staff and, and we talked about the training aspect and what kids are doing. And I talk to our kids, you know, every week and, and ask questions and how they're doing, if they need any help with what I've kind of suggested, suggested and, and whatnot. Um, but, but my thing going back to it was they're not going to maintain the adaptation that we've built through body weight squats and push-ups and things like that. They're not. So if anybody thinks that we're going to come back on campus and try to pick up close to where we left off. Yeah. You know, you're, you're crazy. And like I said, we don't play a game for 10 months. So I have the time to do that. I feel bad for the teams that don't have the time to do that, but we've got to start from square one, to be honest, when they get back on campus, we're not going to play and pretend like, you know, we've done a bunch of stuff and we've worked real hard and now we can jump back into training. We're going to start back at square one. We'll build up our, our workload tolerance slowly and uh, progress these guys into movement and, and speed, and and everything will start over at a foundation level. Zach, a question right off the bat before I even get into them. You put out a tweet about periodization the other day, but would love for and 
100% agree. This is from my guy Chase up at Rhode Island. Uh, but would you would love for you to elaborate on your take on periodization a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, um, I hate saying. Really, I need to preface it first by saying, you know, Western or linear periodization, what typically is thought of as periodization, to me, it doesn't apply to team sport anymore, um, if it ever did. It's more for a, um, you know, it's more for an individual sport. You're peaking one or two times a year a lot of times with, with set out periodization models. Team sports doesn't, they don't have that luxury. So um, we're not going to have long training blocks because there is no off-season anymore. There's no true off-season, regardless of what sport you play. If it's team sport, there's no off-season. So I can't have these long, drawn-out blocks in preparation for a, you know, a one- or two- or three-week peak at a certain period of time. It, it doesn't happen. That doesn't apply. We need periodization. It, true periodization, I guess, should be um, – it's just kind of a it's, – it's a map of your programming, right? A guide of sorts to where it wants to go, but we've got to be agile in that map. And we know that there's going to be different routes along the way. We're going to have to, you know, maybe a road's closed or something like that. And we've got to jog off the path a little bit. It's got to be agile. Everything we do has to be agile. Um, and we have to account for the readiness of the athlete, the time of the year, how much playing they're doing, how much technical work they're doing. That all, that all goes into it. Okay. Um, a lot of times periodization doesn't account for that. I think periodization, I also think that people – if I could piggyback on that, I think people look at it too much and they think this has to be like planned out to the set and the rep and the density and the day. Periodization can be, here's two weeks and we're going to evaluate. Like if, if you're planning on changing or at least having the opportunity to change, aren't you periodizing the program? Like, especially like, you know, Chase is in basketball too. Like until now, you never get any time. Like, there's no break. The only break you get, you want the guys to get away, you know? So right. I think people get too caught up and it's like, you need your intensification block or your hypertrophy fades or whichever form of periodization you're doing. But really, it's just like, is it working? Okay. Is it not? Okay. That's when you need to change it. Yeah. That's periodization. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, there's there's no perfect program. There's really only optimal for your situation. Um, and so I love uh, what uh, Mr. Doyle up in Iowa says. He says that the uh, the best program is the one that you're not on. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's the, it's the next one that's coming. That's the best program for you. You're already adapting to the current program. Let's change it. That's the best one that's coming. Now, another question popped up. I think this is a good one since you started to touch on it a little earlier. But, you know, with this break – um, is there anything that you would say is most important to keep in mind? Like, how are you going to start to, to get them back into it? You know, you said you're going to start from ground zero, but like, is ground zero going to be the same for everybody? Is it going to be, you know, tiered like you normally have it with your dyes or how's that going to work? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's honestly, that's going to be tough. It's going to be, we're going to have to use our eyes and our common sense to be honest. Um, no, I, I don't think it's going to be – I'm not going to be able to use it tiered like it usually is with an advanced group because right now the advanced group, some of my advanced guys have no access to equipment, so it's only body weight work for them. So, yes, eventually, you know, after maybe the first uh, four or six weeks, they, they separate back out into their groups. But that first, you know, maybe 
four week period is a reintroduction to training, right? It's similar to our foundation program with our incoming guys in the uh, summer where we're going to have to build workload volumes for speed work. So, you know, we're going to start with um, um, tempo runs and buildups and progress, honestly, extensive to intensive over the course of that week or, or, or I'm sorry, month or two months. And then as we uh, kind of build that foundation and that base, then maybe we progress them back into what they were previously doing. But, you know, speeds are going to have to start out at sub-maximal speeds. We're going to have to build intensity in those. The same thing in the weight room, you know. When we re-intensify or reintroduce training from summer periods, um, when guys are playing summer ball, we generally start in like a, a 50 to 70% range. Um, and, and honestly, we handle clusters a lot more at that time, but it's very, very, very sub-maximal, right? So it's going to be extensive to intensive, and we'll build those, uh, those workloads as we go. Yeah, I dig it, man. So how do you plan on measuring – how do you measure wellness, uh, readiness, excuse me, on a daily basis? So honestly, if you want – this is what we were doing this season. We simplified everything. So as guys come in the weight room, I ask them, how do you feel today, right? Everybody asks that question. We used to do it in, in a Google Sheet, and they filled out an app and all this stuff. Well, we don't have access to, to an app currently. So I had, I had a question for them. How do you feel? And they either had, they had three answers, alive and well, barely alive, or I'm dead, right? And we adjusted training based on that. That's all it was. Man, I'm dead today. It, it opened up the conversation. I'm dead today. I didn't get much sleep. I was up late studying. All right, well, here's how you're going to handle your training. All right, guys that felt alive and well, great. Here's how we're going to handle your training. You can go up a little higher on intensity if you feel like it. All right, if you want to, you know, go up to a heavy single on, on such and such lift, have at it. Guys that are, uh, that are dead, you know, we might, we might do a little bit of recovery training. I don't want you doing this movement at all, or you're going to do one to two sets on every movement and get out of the weight room. Um, so we simplified the process as much as possible. I dig that. Now, how much leeway did you give them to, like, going through a warm-up? If they were like, you know, I'm starting to feel a little better, did you let them yeah, so, up or down or whatever? So, yeah, they have control of their own workout in season, and we've used this for a long time. They have full control of their workout. So I basically put brackets on everything. There's options, so to speak, on everything that they do. They've got heavy, um, heavy base percentages for squats, light base percentages. So if a guy feels great and he wants to go heavy, guess what? You can use the left side of those squat percentages. If, uh, if you feel terrible, we're going to use the, uh, the right side. We're going to go on the light percentages today. Um, as well as you have ranges within the rep, the rep scheme. So if you feel really good and you want to work up to a couple more reps or a couple more sets, have at it. Once we get down into the accessory stuff, the same thing applies. It's volume and intensity. Um, there's options on every lift. So a guy can dictate his own path, especially in-season. Off-season, I don't use that as much, but the in-season, we use that all the time. And the guy, you know, we, we try to educate the guys so that they understand, you know, if you feel terrible, we've got we've to get some recovery in. We've got to let you, you know, we don't want to stress the body too much. Let's, let's recuperate, do the minimum, and get out. How do you handle that then with the guys that could be on either end of that spectrum, right? Because you know you're going to have dudes that are going to be like, no matter what, I'm doing the big, heavy stuff as many times as I can. And you're right. also going to have the guys going to be like, I'm going over there, and I'm going to do the light. And every stuff. day I'm doing the light, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I actually wrote, a, wrote an article on auto-regulating training and the, the pros and cons and talked about some of these very things because I've had these in the past. This year, to be honest, I really, I really didn't have that problem. But we've had those grinders in the past that no matter what they did, we had a starting catcher that – 
awesome kid, worked his tail off every day, 365. And if you ever asked him a question, it was always going to be, oh, I feel great. I'm doing the max. I'm going up to a max lift on this. I'm going this, you know. It was just about educating him. It was about educating him, hey, it's okay that when you feel tired, when you feel fatigued, when you don't feel up to it, that you don't go up to these heavy weights. So the best answer I can really give is to educate the athletes so that they can make the best choice available for them. And this year, I didn't have any problems with that whatsoever. But small sample size again. Yeah. It's really funny, though, how there's like there's, there's like those two ends of the spectrum, though, right? How there's the ones that think that if they don't do everything and go as crazy as possible, that it's almost like like you're gonna like call them names, right? You know, and then there's the other ones that are just like, I, I'm just, you know. And, yeah, I mean, I would have been the kid that would have done every rep, every set. I would have went to a max weight on every accessory exercise every week. You know, I would have been that guy. And to be honest, the more you just kind of pay attention, the more it probably benefits the guy in season to, to it benefits the guy on the other end of the spectrum that, that does the minimal or the least possible um, <clears throat> throughout the end season because you think of all the stuff that they're doing skill-wise, their, their cup is full as far as stress goes. So the less – I'm currently writing some stuff on this right now. Less is always more when it comes in season. We, we value intensity over volume, and less is always more. I dig it, brother. So let's keep talking training, though. One question is just simply three words. I'd like to just see your response to this. Game day lifts. Fast, intense. Um, what's the third word I'd have? I don't know if I even have a third word. Fast and intense, to be honest. Um, everything is, is, is built around activating the nervous system. That's really all it is. Um, can, do I get to explain it, or you just want to hear the three no, words? No, no. I was just telling you what his three <laughs> words were, man. You rock and roll, bro. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I wasn't reading the, I wasn't reading the comments coming in. Yeah, no. fast and intense. Uh, it's not about we're not trying to uh, we're not trying to crush kids. We want those kids to get a, a stimulus and get out of the weight room. It's just we keep these guys on a schedule um, throughout the entire year, so they lift on practice days, so they're used to it. You know, a lot of people give me static for. How can you lift guys on game day? Well, when you've been doing it for, you know, 40 weeks out of the year, it, it's not anything that's crazy to them, right? We can bring them in in the morning, stimulate them with a quick lift, get them out. They've got – some of these guys have 8 to 10 hours of recovery before the game ever even starts, right? Mm -hmm. And I talk to high school coaches a lot. A lift before, before you uh, go out on the field for BP is one of the biggest PAP effects you'll ever get in your life for, for your athletes, right? We've all known as athletes – you get a lift and then you go out and do your skill work and you're like, man, I can't believe how good I feel, whether it's basketball, throwing a baseball, swinging a bat. You feel powerful and explosive right away. And so I tell high school coaches, you can use this to your benefit. Eliminate your warm-up. Do a 20-minute you know, game day lift before you go out on the field. It's another, it's another way to get a lift in during the end season. And your guys will be swinging the bat faster and harder from swing one than they ever have in their life. They'll feel great. I love it, dude. We, I mean, we do it the day before, but we also have guys like, you know, what's crazy, man. Like we have guys that come in and they do like a modified, like feel good bodybuilding workout the day of games for basketball, yeah. right? Like everything you do with basketball is going to ruin your shot. But like our leading scorer would not, he, he broke his sternum in the middle of the season, comes back, wow. does not miss 
an extra one of these lifts on game day. And it's just wow. like, yeah, like some you know, some guys need it. That might be though, bro. Honestly, is the love three feet above their ass. Yeah. Yeah. Look good, feel good, play good, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some guys need it, to be honest. Some guys perform better um, when they have that, you know, when they get up and move around the day of, right? Uh, a lot of athletes, what, what we saw early on when I was at TCU, athletes would want to sleep in and we'd say, ah, it's a game day, you know, sleep in. And it was a complete change to their schedule. So it turned out to be almost like jet lag. Uh, when we go on the road, we're sleeping in, right? You're staying in a hotel, you're not up moving around. And the first, the first year or two, it was jet lag for these kids. And, and we'd come out slow and, un, and look just tired on a Friday night. And, uh, you know, there's something to it to get, these, to get these guys up, move them around, keep them in their regular routine. You know, it, the pro athletes, the MLB guys, they have to lift game days. They have no other choice. When do people think they lift? A starting pitcher might lift after his start, obviously, um, in the evening. But position players... They're lifting before the game. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have no choice. It's because they're playing a trillion games a year. Yeah. I dig it, man. I love it. I love it. But listen, let's, let's get another one of these. Yeah. How would you connect what you do with baseball to how people handle quarterbacks? Um, honestly, very similar. We train uh, quarterbacks for the most part the same way that we would train a pitcher. Rotation is rotation. Um, you know, it's, it's hip and thoracic, hip and shoulder rotation occurring uh, in the same exact pattern. Everything is virtually the same for the most part. So we train quarterbacks the same way that we would train a pitcher. Again, we want to train our pitchers to be athletes. We're not, we're not training them with, um, you know, with white gloves. They're not, they're not made of glass. We want to train our athletes to be big, fast, strong, powerful guys that are athletic. I love it because that's all it is, right? I mean, it's... Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the basics for those guys is going to be built around rotation, right? It's built around rotation, hip and, and thoracic spine. And then um, we're going to pay special attention to the, uh, to the scap and the shoulder. One that just popped up in the chat is uh, thoughts on hand cleans. I'm assuming that's for baseball players. Yeah. So uh, I'm actually writing some stuff on this. I've written some, some stuff previously. Love Olympic lifts. Man, I love Olympic lifts. I used to train on them exclusively. I don't do them for baseball players. Um, and the excuse is, right, big technical component. Baseball players have never done cleans before. I don't have a large offseason because we've got, we're playing all the time. We don't have big chunks of time for the offseason. We're going to train these guys um, with plane specificity. So med ball throws, jumps, achieve that faster. I get faster speeds out of jumps, throws, sprinting than I do with Olympic lifts. So to me, it's, it's, I can be more specific without them. Um, I, I think they're a tool. I don't think they're a necessity. Yeah, it's an exercise. Yeah. You know, like, I, I hate to say it like that, but it's like I've got some guys, like in season, we, we do a lot of pulls and presses. In the summer, we'll do like more strict pressing, but not a lot of pulls because it's I don't know. Like it's just not really my thing with with them. I think that just simpler general strength exercises are going to have a lot more bang for your buck, especially with the taller and longer guys that I get. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at the adaptation that you want, and then build your program around what ad adaptation that that you want to achieve. Really, is what it's what it's all about. I, I I love Olympic lifts for youth athletes, especially if I had that you know young. 
young athletes, um, junior high-level athletes, I would teach everybody Olympic lifts because I think they're great, just not in my population right now. Yeah, no doubt. Favorite KPI for hitting? Oh, boy, that, that goes down a rabbit hole. I, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> I don't even know if I have KPIs for hitting. Um, I'm more on the pitching side, so um, – to be honest, here's my problem with KPIs. Let's get, let's get on this. Um, KPIs, to me, have to have transfer. Uh, so if you improve your KPI, it transfers over, you know you've got improved performance. Well, there's very little that I can do. Um, there's very little that I can do in the weight room that, that you can specifically transfer. Med ball throws can help sometimes, but the higher the level of the athlete, you'll find that, that it doesn't necessarily transfer. So... Um, I don't necessarily have KPIs for hitting right now. Um, I, I do for pitching, and that's all built around what we talked about on the, on the, on the podcast. It's all built around our, um, our motion capture and, you know, biomechanical analysis, really. Yeah, I think that it's so cliche and it's so baseball, but I'll never forget when I started working at Indiana State with our team um, – the one thing that was said to me right away was all of this weight room stuff doesn't matter because we're trying to hit a round ball with a round bat squarely. And that's the hardest thing to do in sports. Yeah. So, yeah. Like if you can't hit a round ball with a round bat squarely, just think about that. Right. Like it doesn't matter how fast you hit your hips through. Yeah. Like, Pedro exactly. couldn't hit a curveball. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what a, what a great movie. <laughs> yeah. But you think about it. So, uh, I mean, we've got blast motion, which is, which, you know, you put it on the end of a bat and it, it, it measures, you know, bat speed and time to contact and all these, um, it gives us all this analysis on what's going on with your swing. If, if when we really get specific with KPIs, those are the things that we're looking at, which 97% of the population in baseball doesn't have access to. But again, even those as KPIs, with, um, you know, bat speed, time to contact, some of the rotational uh, efficiency, things like that that they're giving us, that depends so much on pitch location, um, your ability to react and read and react to that pitch. And so there's other factors that go into, into, um, into hitting. Yeah. So just had a few thrown at your butt. Uh, trap bar versus straight bar. Sure. Trap bar all day long. Straight bar, uh, risk, re risk reward is not there for me. If I did not have a straight bar or if I didn't have a trap bar, I would not deadlift at all. I would, um, I mean, what our foundation program does, we do heavy, heavy reverse lunge. Yeah. I would say it just depends on the guy, but I think I've got guys that prefer the trap bar. I've got guys that hate it. So if that's going to be what I'm going to lay on my sword for, I don't know. I, I think there's yeah. better fights. So, I mean, pars fractures run rampant in baseball. It's, it's way worse than the UCL epidemic, way worse. Mm -hmm. So we have, to, we have to train around the injuries of the athlete, and that's a major, major injury. And a deadlift, trap bar, or a straight bar deadlift, a lot of times will exacerbate that problem. Yeah. Fair point. On recovery days, do you always run tempos? Um, yes and no. It depends. But, um, yeah, tempo is one of our main, <clears throat> main variants for um, – for recovery when we start talking about like just building aerobic general aerobic capacity tempo runs are a huge are a huge mean for us yes i like them too i just especially because i get my guys outside I and mean, that's probably the biggest part of it is getting them outside getting them off the, off the hardwood but yeah yeah i love uh, tempo runs 
questions that I don't know if we can really get into. Boy, that's um, a deep one. Thoughts on exercises to ensure spinal engine is working optimally. Fire. <laughs> that's, that, that gets real, real deep. Um, I don't even know where to start with that. It's training rotation, right? Understanding how the body works. Um, understanding that kinematic sequence, especially in pitching and hitting, is, is what's uh, is what's important to be honest um but yeah it the body every movement we do is is rotation right it doesn't matter sprinting um, um swinging hitting throwing it, it doesn't matter everything that we do is rotation uh in nature yeah let's see what do you like next thoughts on the hand supported uh, rfe split squat yeah i actually like it a lot you know that's what, one thing we've moved to the rear foot elevated split squat um, we've moved to in the last uh, few years, and we've used a lot of hand supported stuff to take away to take away the aspect of balance because we limit force output when we have to balance, right? Um, so we're increasing force output. So I actually have guys that do single leg RDLs, uh, single leg dumbbell RDLs. We hold on with an opposite hand a lot of times at different phases of the year, so that we can really use some weight on that. I mean, I've got a I've got a pro outfielder that went up to 150 pound, a 150 pound dumbbell in one hand for um, sets of, I think, five to eight on a single leg RDL. So Chase and I talked about this last week or the week before. I don't know. We've been doing so many of these. Do you think that when it comes to that, that part of that necessity with the extra, the necessity, the byproduct of that exercise is that balance, stability, whatever we want to call it, when you're using, um, when you're using that those exercises, like, do you feel like that might possibly be like part of the derivative of the strength curve? Like that that that's important to train as well, but also being able to load them up more is is just, just as important. Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think there's benefits to both ways, to be honest. And we use both variations, but there's certain times of the year where we're going really, really heavy that I get away from the balance and stability being the limiting factor. Yeah, no, I get you. Now, this has been asked twice, so we might as well ask it. Or it's going to keep coming up. Using the what the strap with your rotational work. Yeah, honestly, I, I, love, I love it. I love it to death. Um, <clears throat> and we've... Well, I won't go there, but um, what you can what you get out of it is the pelvis rotates slower than the arms, right? So the pelvis rotates about three to four times slower than the arms in rotational exercises. So when you're using a cable machine, that what's that strap? Your pelvis rotates. It doesn't. <clears throat> it can rotate it as fast as speeds as as you can make it move essentially, and the weight stack won't jump on you. So for those that don't have, you know, pneumatic air resistance and, and um, Kaiser machines, you can rotate with maximal intent on a cable machine, on a free motion, for instance, that we have, and the, the stack isn't going to jump on you. So we can implement some, wow. some, some loaded strength work for the pelvis that is maximal intent. But there's so many options. It gives us so many options, and it goes back a little bit to that previous question with the, um, the spinal engine. There are so many options that we can do to get feel and to, to uh, pattern movement for especially our pitchers, but our, our hitters as well, to pattern movement um, that, that, that they're going to utilize. 
Um, I, I like to use it for feels. So we, <clears throat> you know, the true uh, conjugate system created by uh, Verkashansky's mentor was strength movements for feel and then back to your skill work. And we actually use that with our pitchers where we, we superset back and forth some of these things. Get the feel of it. Get that thing strong in a certain position and feel that position, hold that position, and then let's go out and transfer that into your skill work and back and forth, right? Contrast method. Yeah, similarly, that could fit in like with what we were just talking about too, right? That lighter end of those rear foot elevateds, kind of like the, what, what uh, Gray used to talk about with the FMS stuff when you would do whatever you would call it the resistance. Yeah, you're feeding, yeah, yeah. You're feeding the compensation is what you're doing. That's, mm -hmm. that's exactly what we do, whether it's with the, um, you know, the core velocity belt is something that I use a lot with our advanced athletes, and this gets, this gets down the baseball rabbit hole and not necessarily strength and conditioning, but it's, it's performance. But we use the core velocity belt, the what's that strap. We use those things to feed those compensations a lot of times, and sometimes we actually assist the compensation uh, so that those – and then we go back to our skill work so that there's motor learning con con continually taking place. Yeah, because if you don't know what's going on, you don't know how to fix it. Right. So what is then, when you come back, right, you're going to get into the basic and start moving all that way. But then as it starts to rebuild and you get back into this time of the year, walk us through a week with, with your skill guys and your pitchers. How does that go, midweek game or not? So you're saying if, like, if we were playing baseball right now? Yeah. So each starter is built around, you know, their, their throwing schedule. So um, you've got start. We'll just take a starting pitcher, for instance. You've got start. Day one is going to be a recovery day. Day two is going to be a lift, usually total body, but it's lower body dominant. Day three is going to be off slash recovery. Day four is going to be a, a lift again, total body, upper dominant. Day five off. Day six is going to be the recovery day, activation day. Um, and then you're, you're basically back in your weekly cycle for the most part. Um, our position, guys, here's the one thing about baseball that every coach needs to know, and I preach this all the time. It's about consistency because every coach in the history of baseball will say, well, relievers, you know, he might pitch this weekend, so let's not lift him, you know, or he might pitch tomorrow, I don't want him sore, let's not lift him. And then a reliever goes 10 days without lifting, but they haven't pitched either because maybe they weren't, they weren't needed. And before you know it, you've got two weeks you haven't lifted. And now we lift him, and the kid's sore, complains to coach. Coach gets on you. Well, I can't have this kid sore. We're going to cut lifting. I can't have this kid sore. We need him this weekend. We need him, you know, such and such game. And it was a model of continually just detraining guys, right? So we put in the model of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday for us. That's what kind of worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We stick to that model with our relievers, with our position guys. We stick to that uh, – as as well as we as well as we can but i have a coach that um that is awesome about making sure that we don't that we get our work in and we don't miss lifts um we adjust it basically to our schedule intensity and volume to our schedule but it's monday wednesday friday throughout the uh throughout the in season for us for the most part yes relievers position players and then they're all built around their individual schedules and things like that I like that. And I think that a lot of people get a little bit nervous when it comes to all of those things. But I think at the end of the day, like, not that they like have to, but it's going to 
help them continue to go if they stay consistent, even if they're leaning to that minimal amount like we talked about earlier? Yeah, consistency is the number one, for me, my in-season programming principles, consistency is the number one thing. Maintain consistency because you can build strength in-season. Our in-season period is so long, it's longer than the off-season. There's less breaks. So that in-season, my guys are stronger in the in-season period than they are in the off-season because of that, because of consistency. We're never, we don't miss anything for Thanksgiving. You know, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't miss time like we do in, in the fall for Thanksgiving, for, uh, for fall break. For finals, you know, we've got basically a two-week window where you've got a study week and finals. You miss two weeks. So the in-season period, there's none of that because we're playing baseball every day. So we don't miss our lifts. Our guys get stronger. So we hit higher, we, you know, we hit higher numbers in-season than we do off-season only because of consistency. And it's really funny that if you're consistent all the time, you don't have to put the hammer down all the time. Exactly. You don't have to worry about soreness. You don't have to worry about stiffness and, and all these other problems that jump up when you miss, you know, four days in a row of training or, or a week or whatever the case is. Oh, dude. I love that. I love that. So then let's get another one of these from earlier. Um, a lot of people just basically asking you to, to write their programs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what, I think this will be neat, because, you know, like, we're both nerds. What's your, what are your top three books that you would recommend to a coach, both in and out of training? Oh, boy. Um, well, top three books as far as in training go. I mean, I, I preach Stuart McGill's um, Back Performance and Fitness. That, to me, was a game changer at, at the time I read it. Just understanding the body, he put stuff so simple, and I, I, I absolutely loved it. That for me was one of uh, one of the most important books I've read in in my entire time in strength and conditioning. Um, you know, we could all go with Super Training. That's that's an easy one. Super Training is one of my favorite books. I think it's a little much for a lot of a lot of people. Uh, another book that had a huge impact on me was, to be honest, was Joe Kin's Tear System. Um, when I was coming up as an intern GA, it, it was a, it's just, it systematized everything, right? So it put it very easily. That's what some of these coaches need. They just need a system to implement. Um, so Joe Ken's book would be, uh, would be a big one for me there. Um, the three books, geez, I don't even know if I can name three books that, uh, <laughs> aren't training books. That's all I read anymore. Uh, legacy is one of my favorites. Um, Let's see what else is out there. I'd have to dig deep. Uh, to be honest, I study training and I study, I study the stock market. So my other two books would be in the stock market. That's good though, man. Like, I think that people, especially now, like that's some things, like people want to talk about stuff that coaches should look more into. Like, it's funny, like Rhett Larson's a good buddy. Like he lives in Richmond. And that was like what he talked about. He's like, I've always been a stock market nerd because eventually yeah. I just want to, I just want to train people because I want to train them. And all too often, I think too many of us, me included, like wait too long to figure any of that stuff out and like yeah. figure out what you want to do and how you can actually be okay later. I mean, it's like, it's like Kier talks about having more than one revenue stream is, is honestly huge. And right now people are realizing how important that is. I mean, the stock market is, is free money. If you know what to do, if you know how to handle it, it's free money. Yeah. 
What's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last five years? I can't let Mike ask a question and not answer it. Oh, boy. Let's see. The biggest lesson I've learned in the last five years. Um, I'll give you the biggest lesson I've learned probably in the last 10 or 15 years is to not let others dictate my attitude, my, my, um, my attitude towards the job, towards um, – towards sport coaches, just, just don't let others dictate your attitude. Right. I had to kind of get out of a, a cycle of, of, um, negativity brought on me by others in a way. So don't let others dictate your attitude. Cool, man. Mine would probably be, nobody really gives a shit about what you do in the weight room. So don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Very good. The kids are going to remember if you were a good person. They're not going to remember if they squatted 500 pounds. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had my sport coach at the time come up to me and say, hey, man, he called me out, and, and I'm thankful that he did. But he said, um, why are all strength coaches, like, bitter to the world? Why are they all bitter to the world? And I was like, that's how they perceive me. And so I had to start creating value on the other side because, you know, that's, that's what you get fired for. That's why people don't like you. And I had others influencing my attitude at the time. And so I kind of went to the uh, opposite end of the spectrum and everything's been great since. Yeah. It's funny. The, the, because they are the actual, I mean, strength uh, coaches are bitter as hell all the time to, to sport coaches. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Well, guess what? We're all in this together. Yeah. We're going to have to make this combined effort and, and you know, the happier we are, the better our lives are going to be. Let's, let's try to work at this problem together. Facts. Facts. Matt talked about just that too. I think it comes out Thursday. So for all y'all listening, download it Thursday. Um, but no, this is a good one. What, what was your top intro to the stock market book? Um, it's how to make uh, how to make money in stocks. I believe is <laughs> um, how to make money in stocks by by William O'Neill, Bill O'Neill. He um, ran a, a newspaper called Investors Business Daily, and this is. This is great because it's a system. It's an easy, easy system um, that's implementable by anybody in, in the public, right? And that's why, that's why this thing is so popular. But how to make money in stocks. And you think you're looking at the book and you're like, dude, this is a joke. You know, what? this looks silly. But it is the best thing I've ever done. So you literally just typed into Google, how do I make money in the stock market? <laughs> well, I actually this had book, a... This book came up and you were like... <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> right. I actually had a GA, um, one of my best friends. He was a GA, and he had learned about this book from somebody else. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, you need to check this book out. And so I bought it, and it's an entire, like I said, it's an entire system, newspaper. They've got everything. It's all-encompassing um, with it. And I started implementing that system. And, and um, if I wasn't a strength coach, I would probably – stay at home, work in my garden, and, and buy and sell stock. Um, and listen, I'm not pushing one way or the other for anything, but I am literally on Amazon right now looking at this. <laughs> and it's free as an Audible book. Right? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, get on it. Yeah. Everybody uh, should get on it because, and I'll tell you right now, if you do get on it, it's just about rules following. It's about the stock market is about human emotion. That's all it is. It's crazy. If you follow rules and 
but nobody can do that. That's the crazy thing about the stock market. People can't follow rules because their emotions get involved. Well, people can't follow rules right now. They're literally being told, sit on your ass and do nothing. And people can't yeah. do that. Like, right? Yeah. It's, it's the saddest country in the world. People are like, you can't tell me to sit down. But, you know, like, that's all you do anyway. Like, that's all people want to do during the week when they work is go home and sit down and do nothing. And now, now they have the opportunity and people won't do it. I, I've never seen so many people out exercising in my life. Dude, it's really funny. Like, it's like, it, it is. It's really funny. Like, it, it's great. It's great. If that's a byproduct of this, that's great. Like, yeah. If more people, like, go out for walks or runs or climb trees or whatever, that's great. But it's like, man, I walk the same loop with my dog every day, two to three times a day. And I can't tell you how many times the number of people have squared that I've seen out walking. Even when it's pissing down rain, it doesn't yeah. matter. I'm just like, this is wild. This is great. I've, I've got people that I think drive to my neighborhood just to walk around the neighborhood because I've never, I didn't know they lived here. I've never seen them before. It's, you know, it's all, man, it, kudos. Like, le, uh, you know, lemons the lemonade, right? You know, yeah. like, why not? I am going to download this and listen to it when I'm walking the dog, though. There you go. Um, Follow rules. That's my advice. Follow the rules. But that's almost like everything, right? Like, people just get so, like, dude, like, with what we do, like, people get so emotional about, like, whether you need to sprint or yeah, clean. the back or, squat or anything. Yeah. How much strength? How much strength do you need? Oh, that's BS. You don't need that much strength. Oh, you do. Yeah, I know. I don't know, man. It's wild. Like, so the, I like this question, actually. Does it matter if you split up your sprint work from lifts? And can it always change based on the schedule? Well, that's 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 the issue, right? It's optimal versus perfect. Um, in an op in, in a perfect world, yeah, we'd rather not do that. We'd love to sprint first. Um, for me, it's sprint power. Everything goes in order of CNS demand and speed. So sprinting's first on the totem pole. Power comes next. Jumps, throws, and then your lift. But too many people, you know, you can't do that. It's it's not always perfect. So a lot of times you have to. Charlie Francis would say um, you'd prefer to sprint before you lift. But again, if you've got a 6 or 7 a.m. workout, you might get more out of lifting, you know, a, a, quick, um, a quick stimulation lift in the morning and then coming back in the afternoon and sprinting. So you've got to figure out what optimal is. Sprinting needs to be done in, in uh, freshness, right, lack of fatigue. We don't want to be tired when we're uh, trying to gain speed. But – it's it's you've got to figure out what optimal is for you yeah i couldn't agree more with that and i think that sometimes the real world screws everything up right like you know with more and more teams and more and more programs getting their own facilities their ability to schedule as as they please you would hope that more and more of accommodating to you know rhythms and things of that nature occurs yeah so that you can train everybody from one to four right and everybody's wide awake and had two good meals and the the other stuff's out of the way with school and this that and the third but yeah it happens bro yeah yeah it's 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 tough i mean especially for small schools that have you know a three thousand square foot weight room and 25 sports to train i mean there is no perfect program it doesn't exist yeah no doubt and then weather gets in the way, and, you know, I mean, shoot, yeah. you know, that's, that's not easy, man. 
Yeah. It's, it's easy to talk about, right? And say, oh, you got to do this. But no. Like, how do you, you can't, you can't one way or the other. I got this, I, I got to ask this one. And this is from Coach Clay. He was, uh, he was, oh, and this is going to kind of fit in, in this. Uh, what would you like to see mentality wise and skill wise when it comes to training from the freshmen that come in? Um, I, what I need to see, and I've been, we've been seeing it a lot more is I want to see guys that have, that can move, that are just athletic in nature can move. Right. And I talk about this in, in movement over maxes in our foundation program. We want our guys to be able to sprint, to jump, to land, um, to, to be able to squat, to hinge, to, to press, to pull, and stabilize, right? Single leg, core. Those are the basic foundation movements that we want. And then if we have those, guess what? We can build on top of that pyramid, right? We can build uh, the athleticism that we want. But those are the, the – we just want movement competency. That's all. Mm -hmm. What you find so often in baseball is kids don't know how to jump. They've never been taught how to jump, how to land. And to me, you know, we use snap downs in that program, and I see a lot of turmoil on snap downs in social media. Um, people saying, well, that's not how you jump, that's not how you land. And true, it's not in, in real sport. And, you know, the, the thing I would say to that is when they, when they document these pictures and say, ah, oh, this isn't how you land, they're showing the elite of the elite of the elite. You know, we get NBA videos and NFL combine guys that are landing on one leg in awkward positions. Well, guess what? My incoming, you know, 164-pound pitcher isn't, isn't an NFL combine freak, you know. Um, jumping is a strong, strong stimulus for training, and I need to teach these guys how to land, how to, how to jump and how to land correctly before I can even implement more advanced training strategies. I'll give an example. I had a kid when I first got here. We were doing the warm-up, and I was teaching standing broad jumps. I had a kid um, tear a meniscus doing a standing broad jump in a warm-up one time. You other strength coaches out there that are listening, the young strength coaches, imagine what you have to tell a head coach when he says, how the hell did this guy tear his meniscus? And you say, well, we were doing some jumping stuff in our warm-up. He tore his meniscus doing a standing broad jump, which I could probably bring, you know, 200 10-year-olds in here and do standing broad jumps for an hour and everybody would be fine. But this kid tore a meniscus doing a standing broad jump. I have to teach snap down so the kid understands how to accelerate his body down and and get into a landing position. I have to teach him. Yeah. I think we take too much for granted, you know, and I'm super guilty of that. You know, when it, you know, learning so much from Doc and, and like thinking that you just build the qualities and all that, but I think that yeah. that's, a, that's a super point that I think that we need to all be a little bit better at. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I have a point on that if uh, you want to dig into it a little Fire. bit. When I was younger, I used to read everything I could on Soviet training, right? Advanced training methodologies and Verkashansky's, you know, theories. And, and I, I thought that was the way I didn't care anything about form and function, to be honest, right? I was not worried about, you know, in, insertions, origins, muscular attachments, how, how the body works, to be honest. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was not understanding that form equals function, which is going to give me movement and consequently dysfunctioned. So one of my biggest pieces of advice or biggest pieces of advice for, for young strength coaches, my interns, I tell them this all the time. 
you need to be able to understand the body's form, all right? It's not just insertions and origins. Understanding how, the, how each of those muscles interact and create movement, you'll be able to understand dysfunction, right? And then eventual um, possible injury problems. Yeah. Freaking, it, that's gold. It's not just about advanced training, right? We need to understand how the body moves and works. That's gold, man. All right, last one. Says, great advice on attitude. That said, strategy on building culture. Boy, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm I'll actually let you go because I got one too. For you. <laughs> well, I might want to hear yours first. Okay. I mean, for us, uh, you want to go first? Yeah, have at it. Yeah, you got to have good players, man. Yeah, it starts with your head coach and it starts with the players. You're not going to fix it if you got a team full of dickheads. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I was going to say, is it does winning breed culture? Does culture breed winning? You know, that's, that's, it's the chicken or the egg. Um, for, for us, it, it starts at the top. That was going to be the first thing I was going to say. Your head coach is going to dictate that. If you guys butt heads, guess what? It's, it's never going to work. So for us, it starts at the top. Um, you know, the other thing I would say around culture is small things matter. Our coach is awesome at that. He believes in everything that we do in the weight room and how we handle it. And we emphasize that small things matter at all times. There's, there's, there's you know, nothing is... I shouldn't say that, but it's a snowball effect. A small thing gets rolling, creates a giant, creates a giant snowball, and it just keeps building momentum, momentum, momentum. So we want to teach that those small things matter all the time. Oh, yeah. If your kids believe and your kids like each other and your kids want to work with each other, culture takes care of itself, man. Yeah, players you know, first. Yeah, Get the players. Dude, well, but I mean, even even more so, right? Like, we've got a really good junior class. I mean, and they're super dudes. Like, they're just they're guys that like you would just want to hang out with. Like, they're just like good guys. And they lost this team that we went through two twenty plus lost seasons. Their first two years in college, they lost forty games, and then we came out and kept working. They kept working. You know, they never. Now they had days where they weren't happy and great and they were frustrated but they never sat there and were like woe is me everything's bad they just they always were like you know what we're gonna be good we know we're gonna be good we went 24 and 7 this year yeah you know there were some changes that were made there were some new players that came in and this that and the third but it was because this core group of guys worked and believed and are good people to be around so people wanted to keep working with them and going with them, and and, and they they're the ones that do it, you know. Yeah. We can talk about all the fun, cool things that we do that are neat, and we can write, you know, whatever we want on our shirts or our shorts that say like some saying. But at the end of the day, if you right. got good kids that believe in what you're doing and are willing to work for each other, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to me, if your best player, if, if, if your group of best players are your best leaders, I think that's when, when um, you have kind of a perfect scenario, right? Uh, your best players are your best leaders. That's when everything is, is awesome. That doesn't happen that often, though. You just have to make sure, in a way, it's virus containment, right? You can't let the guys, you can't let a guy or a group of guys, right? Well, for this time period, you can't let a, a, a guy or group of guys be a virus in a locker room. And it, if that spreads through the team, you're absolutely screwed. So 
um, you have to you have to manage that as well. Yeah, Zach, this is a freaking fire hour, bro. I appreciate your time. This yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Great to see you. Glad you're doing great, homie. We'll be in touch. Yeah, take care. Yeah, brother.